Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be taking a look at all the implications of another red card, including the ongoing saga around Owen Farrell. On the pitch, we'll be dissecting Ireland's win over England and Wales getting hammered by the Springboks. Plus, we'll be chatting to Italy's Paolo Adogwu about his journey to the World Cup. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Goody, on holiday. Well, that's the good news. I thought I'd escape all the rugby hysteria and all the drama and all the issues in England and go on holiday. So we're in Portugal again, staying at the Comrade. What a place. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down to the local pub and watch the game, the cheeky pub. And I am surrounded by 300 Irish people. They're everywhere. They are, they are. The holiday's great, kids are behaving when they're in kids club. The sun is shining, the food is good. I've been in the gym. How's the weight? The weight's good, James. I'm nearly under 100 kilos, so uh, I've lost 18 kilos now. And I feel good for it, Jim. I'm just, you Mm. know, heads in the right space, training, eating well, you know, grilled fish and salad for dinner at all the restaurants. Life's good, and then you put the ruggers on, and oh my God, wow. I mean, I don't want to say I told you so about England. And I got buried by Chris Ashton about being too negative a few weeks ago when we were at Twickenham. There's a line, isn't there? Marler's blocked you. Yeah, well, apparently Joe Marler's blocked me. He says I'm not a supporter, so I'm blocked. Thanks for that, Joe. What's that about? I don't know. Who cares? I couldn't care two who, who follows me, who blocks me on Twitter, and, unless Jim does. I know it's bad if Jim ever blocks me or unfollows me. Because you only care about your close mates, don't you? I don't block anyone or unfollow anyone. I, don't, I couldn't give two bollocks and big Sean Lamont bollocks at that. that they are, what and they are big think. nut sacks. Well, actually, it's a, it's the sack. You said it then. It's the not sack. the nuts. It's the sack. Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't give two balls and a sack. Who blocks me? <laughs> who tweets me? Couldn't care less. Jim, how you been, mate? You been at home in Edinburgh or you managed to get away and free yourself from the kids for a little bit? No, I'm not. No. Big day today, big milestone today. JJ went to big school, so... That was it. It was all right. Beck was getting emotional. I was like, this is one of the best days of my life, I'll be honest. Let's get him in there. (laughs) It's one of them where it's a life moment, right? So Beck's taking it like a life moment. Uh, For me, I don't see it as a a big deal, but I I was trying to like kiss and cuddle him before he went in. He went, Dad, Dad. I was like, JJ, your voice doesn't even sound like that. Dad, get off me. I was like, come here, boy. No, good though. All good. Quiet weekend. Festivals on. I actually was out on Saturday night and saw some of the Scotland lads, chatting to them actually. Love being around the lads. I'll be honest. Like Beck was like, I ain't seen you smile that much in five years. I said, what do you mean? She's all oh, back with the lads, Darcy Graham, Stuart McAnally, like skipper Jamie Ritchie, look at you. Simon Taylor was out as well. Not with them. He was just getting loose. He's a loose, loose character. Weird. Loose, but great character. So I was out, basically, I was out on Saturday with the lads. Are you one of those old hangers-on, like Klingons, that are like, yeah, lads, remember when I used to play? We were, oh, no. No, I'm a fan, though, Andrew. (laughs) Could you imagine the atmosphere of me being with the Scotland lads? And I'm basically saying last week that Duan van der Merwe is the best winger in the world. Big Rob cuts it up, puts it on social. It blows up because people are going mad. Obviously, I'm just saying it just to throw something out there. But I'm talking up the boys left, right, and centre, so... Some of them listen, some of them say they don't listen, but we know they do listen. 
And I'm building energy up, right? And people are believing what I say that we're beating South Africa game one. Like a lot of the South Africans are pissed off. Can you imagine you going out with the England lads, Goody? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's a couple that I reckon I can still go out with. Who? Well, Jack Van Portfleet, but he's not an England lad anymore. So right now, him. so if you walked into a pub now, say they came over yeah. to Portugal before they play Fiji and get the pants pulled down, they won't, by the way. Like you walk into a pub, like who are you veering towards? Like, who are you thinking, right, I've got a great connection with them? Freddie Stewart. Yeah. Elliot Daly. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's two. Ben Youngs. Yeah, three. That's it. That's probably it. That's probably You only need three. No, but it's like we're in a good place at the minute. They were letting their air down. It was good to see them, but it's just one of them things. Like, I do miss it. You know, when you see what they're doing now, and I did say to them, but I didn't. I was thinking it. I didn't say. I wanted to say, like, be the father of wisdom, not the, gra- not the godfather, and say, like, you are in the best moment of your life right now. And Beck's looking at me like, well, are you not, Jim? What do you mean, am I not? <laughs> I'm going grey. I can barely put my shoes on. No, I'm not. I, you know, the kids are doing me head in. No, I'm not. I wouldn't say that now is the best time of my life. 21 to 32 were probably the best years of my life. Goody, if you could give the England boys some, some wisdom at the moment, what would that be? Stop kicking the balls. Let's hold on to it. Let's play a bit of ruggers. You know, if it needs to rip up the script and... We're just holding our whole game back, aren't we? Like, we're, we're showing nothing in these warm-up games. And I said at the start, and I got ridiculed by a few people for being too negative. There's a fine line between honesty and negativity and being authentic and just saying what you think. I want to champion this England team. And when they're showing me stuff to champion, I certainly will. But I'm just honest. It's hard, isn't it? So what do you say... And I'll go back to Chris Ashton. So we're doing the live show before England Wales and Andy Rowe, you were there. Rob, the producer, was there. Jim was working up in Scotland, so he couldn't be there. But we've got Chris Ashton on stage, right? And I'm chatting about Steve Borthwick and someone needs to motivate the troops at half-time. I commentated on the Wales game the week before that when we were doing it. And I said, look, second half, England came out against Wales in game one. And they looked flat. You know, whatever was said at half-time obviously didn't work because we got pummeled by Wales in that second half. That's game one. Ashley's like, mate, uh, I've just retired. There's no coach that I've ever had that motivates me at half time to get the juices flowing. Did anyone see the pictures from the changing room at half time at the weekend from England, their dressing room over in Ireland? It looked like, I don't know what it looked like. It looked like everyone was depressed. No one had any energy. Then they come out down the tunnel and everyone's walking onto the field, the body language. And you get a lot from that as a player, don't you? I think personally, energy. And we celebrate are not straight in the line out or whatever like we've won the World Cup but <laughs> like at half time the lads have sat there and it looked depressed and it looked like low on energy I, I don't know basically grab some cojones boys get some cojones start playing a bit of rugby chuck the ball around put some shape on an attack demand it and very similar I think this is we're, we're in a very similar position to 2007 and I'm fast forwarding a few weeks into a World Cup, but 2007 World Cup, we got annihilated by South Africa in the first game, 36-3 or something like that. And the coaches, Brian Ashton was the coach, who's a great rugby brain, but none of the players agreed with what he was doing, how he was coaching. And there were some senior players, Andy Farrell was one, Lawrence Delalio was another, Simon Shaw, Phil Vickery, Martin Corrie, these sort of players, Mike Catt, I think as well, that took control of it and said, no, 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 this is going to be player-led now. This is how we're going to play. Andrew Sheridan scrummed the life out of the Aussies. We end up getting to a World Cup final and then nearly beating South Africa in the final. So it's got to take leadership. The problem is our leader, Owen Farrell, who knows what's happening with him, and we'll get onto that in a minute. You know, And everyone talks in riddles about, we're just going to get better next week. Well, we haven't. So something needs to change drastically. And I tweeted about it at half-time. Like, bring on Marcus Smith, rip up the game plan, change exactly how we're going to play. Let's not forget, we had Nick Evans in our coaching team in the Six Nations and he was doing the job with both hands tied behind his back because he had to coach the way Steve Borthwick wanted. And going back to Chris Ashton again, Ashy, and everyone's like, yeah, but you wanted Eddie Jones sacked. Yeah, I did, because he was awful. And Chris Ashton, I'm happy to say it on here, who's played with a lot of these England players and had relationships with them, said that they were all broken at the back end of Eddie Jones's tenure as head coach. And they hated the environment. They didn't know how to be treated. And it's the same thing that came out with what some of the Aussies said previously when he left Australia. So that behaviour then takes time to unlearn. And effectively, you know, Steve Borthwick, who is a 
the protege of Eddie Jones has come in and everyone's talking about how great the environment is, nothing's changed. Like, there's no leadership on the field. Our attack is blunt. Let's not forget the RFU have paid over a million quid to get these coaches freed from their contracts at Leicester. And ultimately, we ain't seeing nothing. But all I'm hoping for is that we're holding all of our game back. And Borthers is, maybe he's like super intelligent. He's gone, let's show absolutely nothing in these warm-up games. Let's play really badly. And then let's surprise everyone at the World Cup. And we'll bring out our A game. We'll put width on it. We'll have shape and attack. You know, anyone watching that England game at the weekend, we looked... We look knackered, like one-paced, cumbersome, slow, no kind of direction in how to attack, no shape on the ball in terms of layers of attack with options at the front, out the back, width as well. And hopefully that's all going to come good over the next few weeks because I speak for, I'd say, 95% of England fans at the minute. We're all depressed. We're all down. We're all looking at it going, what the hell have we done over the last eight weeks? Because... These three games that we've had so far against Wales twice and Ireland, we've been, I think, very poor. Worse than when I played for England. And my God, I was shit. And I said, we've got some really good players. They pull on an England shirt and they don't play anything like they play at club level. Maybe the premiership isn't anywhere near the level that we think it is. But these players perform well in different sort of manners for their Prem teams. They put on an England shirt and it's like they've got a straight jacket on. And they don't know how to find space. They don't know how to play fluid rugby together they don't know how to hold width and attack and we just look one out and blunt and that's both a player's responsibility and the coach's responsibility but the good news is things can only get better such they an can english only get i know andrew i tell you what though hell of a story if it comes good yeah i'm not going to say when i would have said when a couple of weeks ago but think about the story imagine if it was documented inside the camp and everything that's going on with Faz. It's a mess, isn't it? Like the whole England setup at the minute is a real mess. I, that's how it looks from the game at the weekend. I say that because Billy got red carded again and you could see Billy's reaction, like shaking his head. Then you listen to the press conference. It's a repeat of last week. And then the story around your captain and everything with that. And then you're looking around, you're watching Courtney. Press conference was a carbon copy of the press conference the week before. I saw the clips of the inside the changing rooms and thought exactly the same as you. And then you look at Ben Earl celebrating a line out that's not straight like you referenced there earlier. You know, Mara came out about two or three years ago and was, look, it's not about celebrating the opposition making mistakes. It's about us celebrating what we're doing and the good things that we're doing, the exceptional things. I think that was the line that he used. I'm thinking, well, Ben Earl was celebrating them making a mistake. So... And I understand why. Like, it was a Saracens thing. You celebrate small wins around scrum, around line-out to give you energy. And it did give you energy. Like I felt energised in their moments when you were doing that because no one wanted us to win. We were Saracens. Internally, we needed to build the emotion and build the excitement. But I'm thinking if you're celebrating like that, and look, this is, I love Ben Elwood. We spoke about him last week. But if you're celebrating like that and it's gone viral, the clip's gone viral. And again, don't go based on social media. There is some see you next Tuesdays on there. And I refuse now to take what a lot of people say on there as any substance at all. I just, it's trash. But the point is around the Ben Earl thing and many people were talking about it. That's why it went viral was that shows that there ain't a huge amount to celebrate. I don't know what there is to be excited about. And you talk about identity in teams. We've gone through Scotland, how they play. I watched France at the weekend against Fiji. You can see the identity of the two teams. Ireland, I've added a layer, I would say, albeit that was, you know, they, they were quite, I'd say, fairly rusty. South Africa, my goodness me, like they've added a layer to their game. You can see the improvements, but I'm looking at England and you're absolutely right, mate. They have gone, I wouldn't say backwards from Eddie Jones, but from where they were, 18 months ago, 18 months ago, let, let's just go based on that. They are a shell. They're a shadow of their former selves. That's what I'm watching. But it's, again, it's a World Cup warm-up game. It's not the World Cup and we'll only judge them on that, but we yeah. can only judge them on that. And that there are some big issues. You've had two of your best players or your highest profile players sent off in two weeks going into a World Cup. I'm is, there, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else going into the World Cup where... A player's been sent off and they're awaiting a sighting. George Mawala for Tonga, who's been banned for 10, then five. 
and Faz gets none. That system's a mess as well, and we can get onto that a bit later. But you're right. You've got to look at England and go, that's how we performed. And you said it then about Ireland being clunky. Ireland scored about four or five tries through balls over the top into that space on the edge. Either a crossfield kick from return of the Mac. How good does he look with his green hair and his head shaved in with Keith Earls? And the way they played, and Faz said it, didn't they, after the game, we're clunky, we're, it wasn't our best performance. Ireland were in second or third gear. Peter Omani's jogging through the middle when Ellis Gens tries to absolutely decapitate someone by flying out the line and jumping in, picking his wrong man. On a tip. Yeah, yeah, a simple tip. Very rarely see players go through on a tip pass these days yeah. because defences are so joined up they're so narrow England was so narrow in defence you know credit to Ireland they've done that in second or third gear that could have been 50 points lads if there was pure intensity in that Irish performance and I'm watching them play and I'm watching then how England attack we go two phases nothing on let's boot it Ireland are always looking to find a shoulder find run at space create space find space have width on the ball and our boys can do that. We've seen them do it before. We just don't do it. And so I don't know whether it's ingrained in them not to do it. But we should perhaps talk about Ireland a bit more because they, with the handbrake on, were still bloody good, weren't they? Mm. In how they performed. You know, Keith Ells gets his 100th cap and gets a wonderful finish in the corner, which, you know, was a real feel-good factor, I think, around the game, even from an Ingham fan. But for Ireland, that shows how good they're going to be, I think, at the World Cup. To play in third gear top third gear that was all they got to and still be that accurate and that precise yeah there was the odd ball down but their intent and their ability to find space and manipulate defenders is everything that England aren't doing at the minute and you've got to credit Ireland and Faz and Mike Catt and you know the coaches Paul O'Connell in that they're just an outstanding outfit that I think are only going to get better Andy Farrell called that performance clunky though didn't he that's, that's a little bit daunting for everyone else. Yeah, that's what Goody just said. And I've kind of mentioned it there as well. Like there was a few bits around their line out and their contact skills. But the bones of their performance was there. Like getting into the wider channels, like their passing game, the accuracy around that. Mac Hansen, again, it's easy to talk him up. He got man of the match again. I've got his tattoo on my arm, so I'm, I'm going to talk him up as... Claim it. Claim it. He's the best winger in the world as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, Moody on the wing, that 20-year-old for South Africa, he might have something to say about it at the minute. But Ireland, just good. What kind of Ireland 15 will we expect to see against Samoa this weekend? I reckon you're resting some of your big players because the last thing you want is a repeat of... Dan Sheehan's perhaps picked up a sort of foot lower leg injury, hasn't he? And you're thinking, okay, we're a bit rusty but we're playing Samoa and they are big boys. So you want a clinical performance, you want everyone to get a bit of game time, but also in the back of your mind, this is everyone's last game, isn't it, before the World Cup? But they've got Romania first up, so it's an easier path in. It's a tough one for Faz, isn't it? Because undoubtedly the two big games in that group are South Africa and Scotland for him. So he's got to build into now the opposite of England, really. England have got to try and pull something out of the bag this week because they've got their first two tough games in the World Cup. The first two weeks, Ireland have got a build-up to the biggest of big games against the Springboks and then Scotland after that. But I ain't put my hand up to play against Samoa if I'm Irish with the World Cup a week out. That's all I'm thinking. No, me neither. <laughs> you mentioned what England have to do this weekend, Goody, but can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Are we going to see them put out their top side against Fiji? Who knows what our top side is? There's, there's literally no one that's played themselves in and said, hey, I'm a starter we've talked about Scotland on here we've talked about Ireland you can name their best 15 give or take one or two can't you I think and France as well another one South Africa you can name theirs which sometimes is a positive England wouldn't have a clue what our best 15 is because no one's put their hand up have they I don't think you can obviously have a, a go at it but I think every player should be chomping at the bit to play against Fiji this weekend to try and fix everything that's gone wrong because you know you want to be part of a eventually an England performance that clicks and it could click against Fiji they've got unbelievable talent you know you just never know kind of what everyone's mindset is in these World Cup warm-up games Fiji played France last weekend put on a good show they're a damn dangerous outfit with some unbelievable talent but you know this England team needs to have an identity and sharpish and they need to find rhythm you need to be in the starting 15 this weekend if you're starting against Argentina the week after that's the bottom line, I think. And ultimately, our World Cup plans could be in either flying high after week one or could be in turmoil going into the Japan game 
in week two. So you need to be picking your best team and Borthwick needs to come out and say, I'm picking my gut, what I think is my gun 15. We're adding layers of attack. You know, he keeps talking about we get down into the opposition half, but we're not taking our chances. I ain't seen any chances being created. We need to see a, you know, a massive improvement and fluidity and every England player needs to be playing or putting their hand up to play this weekend to have any chance of starting against Argentina the week after. There was one moment where they seemed to get a little bit of momentum. I think it was Genge punched it up. It was about the 30-minute mark and you guys were getting over the advantage line and then Ford dropped back into the pocket and hoisted it into the air. Is that part of their game plan or do you know what they're trying to achieve with that? Spiral bomb. <laughs> they put it out on social media, didn't they? Yeah, this is how we do spiral bomb. And it's a great weapon, don't get me wrong. It is a great weapon at the right time, but it seems that is our kind of go-to, I think. Two phases, even with momentum, let's kick it. And there are going to be set plays. I saw Wales do one the other week where they hit up straight away in midfield and then just went box kick from the middle of the park. That's because they felt the fullback at the time, whoever they're playing against, I think it might have been Villy Leroux at the weekend, isn't great in the high ball. So you do have those tactical reasons, but it's England's go-to. And you're not getting any energy and attack by kicking the ball away. You're just chasing kicks all the time. So there's a lot of work to do. There's, you know, We may see a completely different England attacking force this weekend, but as I said, from when Steve took over to when we you know, went through the Six Nations, you know, to the first game against Wales, you want to be positive. You want to hold on to something as an England fan and say, I can see our identity. I can see how this is developing and improving. We can't. And the next test is Fiji, and hopefully we see something then. And if not, we're going into the Argentina game. And who knows? Argentina, for me, are favourites right now against England. They beat us in November anyway, but also you know, with how we're playing and how they're performing. Hey, Borthers, I've got something for you. Argentina are just up the road here in Portugal on a training camp. Do you need me to go and be a spy and see what they're doing? But we had Felipe Contopomi, and the episode's going to come out later with this Beyond Expected series that we're doing as well. But it was just interesting to listen to him and the dynamics of him and how he spoke about Michael Checker talking about the players, about playing for Argentina. This isn't me saying that England don't want to play for England. I'm not saying that, but I'm struggling to see a heartbeat at the minute when I watch them. Like That's the crux of it, where we know Argentina, the emotion they're going to come out with, the kind of game plan that they've got, the quality of coaches that they've got that are proven. So yeah, that game again, I mean, this is why the World Cup's going to be so good, right? Goody, have England got a discipline issue at the moment? I pause then because I like the the obvious answer is yes, and I, someone posed this question to Steve Borthwick at the weekend in a press conference. You know, listed off the cards that have been given, and then he went into defence mode and and said about Freddie Shears one got rescinded and Owen Farrell. You know, he got off his. Let's be honest, discipline is poor for England. I sound like I'm being negative. I'm not. I'm being honest. We've had red cards. We've had yellow cards. Yeah, you know, he tried to go on about. Ellis Genji's one wasn't Genji's fault it was more a team issue off the back of succession of scrum penalties well that is a discipline issue if you're given five scrum penalties away or whatever the number was to get to a yellow card it's a discipline issue so yes we have a discipline issue you know the two tackles that we're going to talk about and the big news around Owen Farrell and what happened with his sort of judicial process and ultimately Billy Vanapola's red card they're carbon copies for me shoulder to the head with arms tucked there's no wrap in either of those tackles uh, and again do you point the finger at the coach and say why aren't you doing this and coaching this out of them which is Kevin Sinfield's role or are you like well it's the players and it's a real tough one isn't it because I don't think any coach coaches his team now to go shoulder to head with a tucked arm and think yeah you might get away with it but you get a big shot on it it's an instinct action from both players which is something that needs to be massively untrained and how hard that is when it's ingrained in them that way. Listen, with Billy's one, and we can we can dissect both of them. Let's dissect Billy Vanapola's one first. There's no defending. That's a straight red card. The only slight mitigation, and I'm not at all saying that he should get off the ban. Porter dips into contact a little bit, but the big news around it is at no point is Billy Vanapola trying to make a legal tackle. His arm is tucked. He throws his shoulder in as hard as he can. Boom, straight in the head. So for me, it's a straight red card with force and ultimately it will come in mid-range sort of area. So the minimum 
there is a six-week ban and then it will get mitigated down if he pleads guilty, if he says sorry and if he's got a, a clear record. So for Billy's one, you're probably looking at six down to three. Andrew, let's not do this, mate. You ain't got a clue. I ain't got a clue. He might he might be playing at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, none of us have got a clue after Owen Farrell's so, one, Let's not try and unpick it. Well, I like to unpick things. I like to just, just give my two pence worth because there's no defending it, is there? The slight thing you can say is Porter dips into the tackle very marginally, but that's still no excuse because Billy Vanapola is never legal in making this tackle. So six weeks down to three. Do we have a discipline issue? Yes. Don't even get me started on the Aaron Farrell scenario of what happened last week. Take the lawyer in, throw some legal words at it and hope you get off because that's what happened with Fazzy's one. The Owen Farrell situation, we chatted about it in the last podcast, but have you ever seen a red card disciplinary process as shambolic in your life no there's a couple of things on it right and i'm not one as you would have seen on social media nothing to do with my job genuinely not it's just i can't be asked to engage in stuff around it now like as in it's a clear as day red card no one at all looked at it and thought any different apart from his dad and sean edwards and a few others. But what I saw, the storm that happened on social media is the reason why I didn't want to engage with it. You've got these people that have never played the game. They don't understand the rules. They don't understand the laws. Yet what they're saying is right, as in without doubt is right. But the way that they're talking about it is just what made me not want to engage with it. And there's a few parts of that, isn't there? One is the way that society is now. The other part of it is around protecting players, The other part of it is trying to make our game safer and for parents to look at them situations. But I think a lot of it is just this kind of vulgar negativity that we see on social media as well. That's just me just getting that off my chest. So I understand when I saw Andy Farrell and his bottom lip was going a little bit in the press conference, of course he's going to stick up for his son. The media keep asking and keep pressing and keep pressing. There's a lot of shit people out there at the minute that are doing that. But what unfolded out of the disciplinary has caused that itself because really the door could have been shut on the whole situation. You know, he could have been given three weeks, he could have been given six weeks, but he was given some kind of sanction. And therefore, we'd be sat here and be talking about what England do without Farrell for three to six weeks or whatever it was. But to come away with that and it to be completely rescinded, I think that that is where the issue lies. There's two parts to it. One, it's a bit of a mess. The other part to it, if you take out the head trauma to Tane Basham, which you can't really do, and I'm trying to find some kind of positive. It's got people talking about rugby. It's made the story about the World Cup around Owen Farrell, the villain. Slightly more exciting, would you say? But I don't know. I mean, you look at social media last week. If you're Owen Farrell, you're his family, you're his dad. Yeah, I don't think you're very happy about everything that's unfolded and that's my stance on it yeah and I understand that and for anyone that has gone out there and deliberately sort of put vile abuse against Owen Farrell then they're completely in the wrong but what we have to also understand is social media whether you've got a bunch of idiots that are abusing people or you've got people just giving their opinions that's what social media is giving their opinions and yes some people overstep the line I saw Faz's big Faz's interview and I thought I think probably everyone that's commented on it looked at themselves and thought, is that, you know, have I said something there that is offensive? So I look back at my tweets and I'm like, I've not gone at Owen Farrell at all. I've gone at the actual tackle, the system and and how it is and just given what I thought was my opinion. And obviously then everyone's gone in other areas, uh, have gone mad and and got personal about it, which is completely wrong. But And, And that's what I mean. I don't even think it would be specifically someone saying, Owen Farrell shit, but albeit they have shit bloke this that yeah but you just watch this storm brewing this kind of mob mentality from all corners of the like the rugby world just coming together to to blow up this big storm and you have to ask yourself the question goody like as in we're well placed right we are close to the game we work in the media we do this podcast we have a voice in rugby so not that we're entitled to give our opinion other people aren't entitled to give their opinion but it's a real balance to how this storm is caused and just like you saw the cesspit on social media, right? You saw people's comments, yeah. people who don't have a, a clue about world rugby, about the committee, Six Nations, Summer Series, sanctions, etc., etc., just coming all in. 
That was what I mean. Yeah, and that's the problem as well. And I said it on the podcast before where we need to have a system that is run by one body, whether it's an internal world rugby body or for me, an external process that manages all the disciplinary issues across the game, across the world. Because you're right, we've got Mills Molina calling out situations where it's not fair that a Tongan gets five weeks for this and an English player gets off because he's got a, an amazing QC that's found a legal loophole effectively. And you then go at the Six Nations Committee, you've got three Australians running the the judicial process. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. They hate the English. Well, yeah, I know, but forget <laughs> they're Australian. You've got three people from the same country. Which, so they're are they going to have the same mindset of how the game is refereed and disciplined over there? So we've shot ourselves in the foot. I think there needs to be a system that is run by one body, whether that's an external body who are, you know, run the whole judicial process off one set of regulations because we've got, you know, we've got different things going on in different countries for different people. And we've been here before, haven't we, with other players where a ban has just mysteriously finished just before a Six Nations game or something like that. And it's just not a good look for rugby. So, I mean, I did not see, and I don't think anyone saw, the fact that Owen Farrell would have it rescinded in that first hearing. And I look back on it and I thought, when it came out, I thought, well, actually, it's pretty clever because, and ultimately it is clever because no one saw it coming and it was a clear red card. But they've probably looked at it and gone, if we go in there and admit guilt and say... I'm guilty, apologies, blah, blah, blah. You're starting at six weeks and you might get one week mitigated down because you pleaded guilty to five. Then you've missed a lot of the World Cup. Or the other thing is you go in there and and challenge it with Jamie George's supposed significant push on Tame Basham, which when I've looked at it, it's about three centimetres, and challenge it and then use a load of legal jargon saying, can you prove beyond reasonable doubt that the actions of Jamie George made Tame Basham move in this manner which meant that Owen Farrell was going to make a low tackle no he wasn't he was upright and always illegal if that makes sense so it's a minefield they've chucked a load of legal jargon at it and you know Richard Smith the QC he's only doing his job that he's paid to do but it does show the disparity between you know a Tongan player who's probably not got that level of legal representation in a hearing who's taken a 10-week ban that's been reduced to five for a, a tip tackle in George Mawala and then someone who's gone fully lawyered up in Owen Farrell and you know then the world is in outcry because it doesn't look like a fair process and a fair decision from what everyone believes is the right decision so it, as Jim said it could have been nipped in the bud we're here a week later Steve Borthwick has gone out and said you know I respected the process and I respected it and I wanted it finished last week but it seems that that's not the case now well no it's not because it was ludicrous and I'm an England fan and I want to see Owen Farrell at the World Cup but Unfortunately, in the the way the state of the game is now with player safety, the concussion element, the CTE issues going on and and all the the legal challenges across the game, World Rugby had to, in my opinion, challenge it and they have. And the rightful thing is, and I don't think anyone would be disagreeing with it, the rightful thing is if Owen Farrell served at least probably a four-week ban and however many weeks you want to put on it. Personally, I think it's six weeks with no reduction for mitigation but who knows now because apparently some boys thought it was no weeks and everyone else thought it was at least six so if we were trying to look into the future here goody i guess fans will want to know like if farrell was out for the pool stages let's say he is let's say he gets four weeks and so does vanapola let's say that's what happens what what do you do do you bring in players do you bring in zach mercer what who comes in yeah i think it's a lot more straightforward if billy vanapola gets banned for four weeks you bring in don brandt or zach mercer because you've only got one recognised number eight in the squad in Billy Vanapala at the minute. Yes, other players can play there. I think the Owen Farrell one's very different because we have Marcus Smith and we have George Ford there. So if he is banned for six weeks, then you're looking at maybe having to swap him. If he's banned for four weeks and they include that Ireland game last week and then the Fiji game, then technically he's only banned for two weeks of the World Cup. You've got other players there in Marcus Smith and... George Ford as 10 cover so I think it's more pressing around what happens to Billy Vanapola and also Billy's performances and Steve Borthwick said it I don't want to go too hard but Steve Borthwick said it's the fittest he's ever looked and you know it's the, he's in great shape and all this stuff well if I'm being honest we haven't seen that have we and I don't want to just judge him on these two games because they're getting a lot of information at training as well but the reality of it is he's picked one specialist number eight and if he's banned for a period of the World Cup it's a big risk. And perhaps 
you pick someone else and then if there is another injury you can bring Billy back in once he's served the ban who knows but these are questions that they're going to have to answer on the hoof as these disciplinary hearings and processes are taking place and any ban or not has been dished out How would you be feeling if you're a Wales fan at the moment or is that just a ruthless South African team on top of their game Yes some idiot said that Scotland are going to beat them in the first game. And loads of people come in at me about it. Look, I'm a Scotland supporter, right? And I want to put loads of pressure on South Africa. So I'm happy that people are barking and going ballistic about it. And then I watched them against Wales at the weekend and I thought, oh shit. Yeah. I was actually chatting about it. Some bloke comes up to me, starts talking to me. I was like, Jim reckons Scotland are going to beat South Africa as well. And he's like, what does he know? What does he know? I said, well, he knows well, a lot. I have convinced but- a lot of people. I've convinced so many but people in Scotland. That, like, I, I, I'm with you. I reckon... Scotland can do it. And you know what? It will be a massive shock if they do. But I'm doing it for the right reasons, right? I'm not doing it as as an expert. Because when you break it down, they're the world champions. When you look at what they've got, and if you look at that game, even a snapshot, and look, South Africa were in third gear. The power, the size. And look, just to talk about a few, RG Snyman is like a god version of me he's like the best version of me (laughs) basically he's my height but he's an unbelievable athlete he's a warrior he's got a mohican he's like a norwegian south african fucking viking you've got peter (laughs) steftator you've got sia khaleesi who i thought was limping into the world cup he was ridiculously good and we don't look people don't talk about sia khaleesi in that vein they're just like oh he's captain motivation leader you watch him off the ball, you watch his work rate, his offload to Malcolm Marks for their try in the corner. My goodness me. And they've got a 20-year-old winger, Caden Moody, on the right wing, Cheson Colby on the left wing, and I've said that Duan's the best winger in the world. So there's a lot of things happening here, lads, where we unpick <laughs> it. But South Africa, power, s- structure, uh, forget the set piece, that'll come into its own. But they have added a layer of offloading, which I weren't expecting. Like the way that they're playing out of the tackle, uh, Libok as well, the crossfield kicks. There, I thought they looked brilliant. Like, yeah. I mean, Wales normally do all right against South Africa, especially in the physical contest. But the worrying thing was, I mean, Peter Seftatoy's try, round the corner, and he's ran over three players. So, I mean, in answer to your question, Andy Rowe, was it Wales or South Africa? I mean, South Africa are the world champions and that's how they kind of played. But Wales, a lot of changes for them as well and they probably overperformed, albeit maybe didn't overperform against a rubbish England side. Hey, steady on. Sorry. <laughs> ain't that good. Uh, We're I'm, not uh, that pick good. It, uh, I'm piggybacking <laughs> your negativity. Yeah. It was a Wales second slash third team, probably. There was a few changes, late changes. I mean, Dan Bigger pulls out. I'm like, clever. Clever. He's seen that South Africa team. How are you? <laughs> I won't be keen for that either. Definitely back spasms for me. But yeah, listen, South Africa are a beast of a team, aren't they? Whatever team they pick. I looked at the team that's starting against the All Blacks this weekend as well. I saw the headline, Nina makes massive changes. And then I look at the team, I'm like, yeah, he makes massive changes and there's massive blokes coming in as well. Eben Etzebeth, he's playing. You know, the, the side is, and the squad is phenomenal. I said it a few weeks ago, the hardest thing, the hardest squad to pick was probably the South African squad because of the depth of talent. Wales have, you know, they've played well for two games against England, should have beaten us both times. And it shows really how far England and Wales are off if they haven't got their first choice team playing against the world champions. So South Africa look great. Goal kicking, still going to be a question mark around Marnie Leboc at 10 in a tighter game. But I saw some comments, someone said, yeah, we don't need goal kickers because we'll just go and score five tries here or there. And they have got the ability to do that, but you get to a World Cup semi-final, quarter-final, final, whatever level. And by the way, obviously, South Africa, if they do get to a quarter-final of the World Cup are playing France or New Zealand, you're going to need a, a goal kicker to slot his goals and he, he'll get there. Andre Pollard, fully fit again. There's, yeah. I, I still think there's a bit of a story around someone's going to drop out and Andre Pollard's going to come into the squad over the next couple of weeks if there is an injury or... You know, someone just gets booted out of the squad for one reason or another. And the Springboks are going to be a powerhouse, aren't they? That's what they are. That's what they've done. And and that's what they do, especially at World Cups. Here's some stats for you on my Rugby Pass stat page again. Post-contact metres, 317. Line breaks, 12 against Wales's five. I thought they looked very good in attack. Jesse Creel, what about him at 13? You have got Shredsville. Yeah. And then you have got maybe one of the leanest humans 
playing rugby, the muscles and the definition and the lid, Andrew, just to get that bit in there as well before you say it, is lid. And everyone's yeah. on about the Kanyam not being in and who's going to fill that void. My goodness me, he looked brilliant. Out the cold for a bit. Out the cold. He's back. Who do you play in the back three for the Springboks? God, they've got some talent. Arenza on one wing is unbelievable. Obviously, Kane and Moody, he's now playing 13, but he's ridiculous. You've got Cheslin Colby. How good was he at the weekend? Yeah, ridiculous. Cheat code. Unbelievable. You've got Ma Pimpy as well. Ma Pimpy. Ma Pimpy. <laughs> he's there. Obviously, Vili Leroux at fullback. Willemsa can play fullback as well. I think he's starting at 15 this weekend. The talent, the list is phenomenal. Pick three for Scotland. Cheslin Colby, if he's fit, no problem. I think he'll go Villiru at fullback and see how Arenza goes this weekend on the wing. Him or Caden Moody. I think mm. Mapimpi's he's starting this weekend as well. Mapimpi is, but I, I think he's dropped a little bit down the pecking order. Or ne- unless he goes Mapimpi for experience. Mapimpi. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire, you're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Well, Warren Gatlin's just named a squad for the World Cup. Any big surprises? Not really, I don't think. Alan Wynne-Jones, not in it. We knew that anyway, but he got yellow carded as soon as he came on for too long at the weekend, just in case anyone's looking. Gats has he set his stall out early on in terms of you know, certain players have retired, certain players aren't involved. You know, there's a couple of injuries. The interesting one is obviously naming Jack Morgan and Dowie Lake as co-captains and people obviously trying to read into that why. Because for me, Jack Morgan is a standout performer for them over the, the last few weeks and has led the team exceptionally well. Yes, he's young, but you know, that's the route that Gats has gone down. So uh, no surprises really. The, the back line looks strong. You know, whatever back line you pick, you've got Josh Adams in there, Liam Williams, obviously, Lewis Rees-Zamet. Lee Halfpenny's knocking around, Dan Bigger. Centres-wise, they've got some big lumps there. They're going to be decent. It's up front, which has always been the question, line out and the power game. But there's no surprises, really. It's it's an interesting selection. And like Gat said, they're, they're going to do something special. You then look at what constitutes special. and Perhaps this team can get to another semi-final. You just never know. And with the, the way the draw is, they've got some tough games in their group. Yeah, They won't have forgotten they lost to Georgia last November. They've got to get past... Fiji as well, which they've got history of at a World Cup, and Fiji are bloody dangerous. And then you've got the Aussies. So it can be the big surprise could be that they win the group, and you know, all those teams could end up beating each other in different ways. And that's a really exciting group to watch, actually. Whereas some of the other groups, the New Zealand group, for example, and France, that's a foregone conclusion for me who's going to qualify for the quarterfinals. Whereas genuinely, you look at that Wales group. And you could pick any one of four teams that could qualify for the quarters, which makes it really exciting. And that's going to be one to watch out for. And Wales, who knows? If they do qualify, they could play either England, Argentina or Japan in a quarterfinal. And, you know, then they've got every chance of getting to a semi. So that's maybe what Gats is talking about. And they just need to park the fact that they got absolutely hosed by South Africans first team at the weekend and, and move on. Just on that group, watching Fiji play France at the weekend... I wanted to go in it with fresh eyes and be like, right, the World Cup and Felipe Contopomi mentioned Fiji. Everyone's talking about Fiji, going to beat Wales, the pool that they're in, potentially get to their first quarterfinal. So I had all eyes on them. I know they played against the France second team 
mate, the narrative's still there with them. Scrum and line out. Yeah. And you ain't winning games. Like you might win the odd game without a scrum or a line out. And that group actually, out of all of them, is probably the most suited group to them. If they're in England's group, they've got England at the weekend, for example. England are going to beat Fiji because of the scrum and the line-out. They will squeeze them however that looks, and you can revert back to a boring game. Did I see enough from Fiji to think that they can beat Wales? Like, breakdown, they were very good. Obviously, an attack, Fiji looked sensational. The power game that they've got, but I'm just thinking, lads, you need a scrum. You need a line-out, yeah. however that looks. So, again... Problem solver, not maker. Well, someone will be hoping that Paul Lay isn't the foregone conclusion that everyone thinks it's going to be. He could have been lining up for England at the World Cup, but he's forced his way into the Italian squad. Paolo Adogu, thank you very much for coming on the show. No worries, mate. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Como te chiami? Me chiamo Paolo. Lovely. <laughs> he does He does speak the lingo. Good man. Congrats, pal. <laughs> For all our listeners, you're sat there in an Italian shirt. Thanks, mate. Great to see. Talk to us through the journey then, because last time you came on the pod, you are England till you die. And now you're Italia, 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 da, 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 da. Hey! You're gone. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly how the anthem goes. <laughs> how is your Italian, Paolo? I'm on a 75-day streak on Duolingo at the moment, so it's going, it's going well. But I'm still learning because it's, especially spending most of last season in France, I've gone like headfirst trying to learn French. And now I'm just like, okay, great. Now I've got to learn another language. But I feel like the experience of being around people not speaking the same language as you and trying to just pick up on like cues and body, there's a lot of body language, which helps. And it's kind of helpful in trying to learn Italian. So I'm kind of deep into that now. So hopefully by the end of this year, I'll be fluent well, enough. It's been a tumultuous year for you really, hasn't it? Obviously an interesting year to catch you on your toes with everything that happened at Wasps. Then you go over to Stade Francais, then you're Italian. How good does it feel right now to be sat in Italian camp, playing well, scoring a try at the weekend, looking forward to a World Cup. Finally, you know, you, you settled, you've signed for... Benetton next year as well it's been a tough year but an interesting one and an exciting finish to it right yeah definitely I feel like I'm finally sort of where I need to be especially after all the uncertainty being at Wasps that whole that being where I thought I was going to be long term and then that just disappearing signing as a medical joke and not really being sure where I was going to be next season so finally being settled and finally being able to represent Italy and doing it all at the same time so like fully diving into just being Italian, basically being at Benetton, being with the national team, I think finally I'm like settled and comfortable now after what was yeah, a very dramatic year. Yeah, it's class, mate. It's it's weird how these things come about, right? And how you turn left, you turn right, you're forced to turn in them different directions. Uh, so like, we're pumped for you genuinely. What's the environment like there? Because it's an environment that always seems from the outside looking in. And this is me speaking frankly, that the results haven't been there. We're seeing a team that is definitely getting better, but the environment always seems so good yeah it's great and i think the main thing is our approach to rugby and how we play is so positive mindset and so attacking mindset because we're like we're not going to be able to just park the bus and out defend teams we have to score points so if you watch the game on the weekend we're attacking from 10 meters from our try line we're making those line breaks and we have the individuals to do that so for me it's really exciting to come into an environment where i know i'm going to get the ball i know i'm going to be able to run and like you said, some of the results don't go exactly how they maybe could have. So it's just fine-tuning that last bit of accuracy and maybe a couple of defensive errors or penalties. And then I think we'll be where we need to be. Is that why you chose Italy then? Because ultimately England just kick and chase it and you don't like that. So Italy chucked the ball around and mate, you're having a great time. I think it was more being able to go into an environment where I can fully express myself and fully enjoy myself. And obviously... The England thing seems like a different lifetime with what's happened just in this past year. So I think for me now, just being fully fully committed to one place and fully settled in one place and how comfortable I felt from the start just being in the Italian squad has been, I felt like I was at home from my first day here and that was like such a nice feeling because you never know when you're going to a new team and the fact that I've been so welcomed and felt so comfortable is great. Paolo, you can say on here that you... Didn't, don't feel that comfortable in kick chase and that the England backs haven't scored in nearly six hours. You can say that. And you just give Paolo the ball. Give him the ball. 
<laughs> I was like, I, I mean, I didn't watch their game, but I, I just see Twitter reviews and they didn't look great, but it's not a me problem anymore. So, so Paolo, just go through how do these things work out? Like who initially comes to you and speaks to you? Like who goes about convincing someone like yourself who's potentially on the fence of going left, going right? Well, because we had the conversations obviously a couple of years ago now, and I didn't choose it that time. It was actually the other way around this time. I actually messaged Kieran Crowley. I was like, I'm all in. I want to play. If you'll consider me, like, I just want to come in and get a chance to be in the training squad. And then thankfully, eventually said yes. And here I am. So it was kind of the reverse negotiation for me. I was just shot my shot. I like that. I like that. Kieran Crowley, we've had him on the podcast. We've had a load of the Italian boys on here as well. They all seem like brilliant blokes. What's Kieran Crowley like? Because it must be a bit difficult for him as well, knowing that they're making the change post-World Cup. So the environment seems great. The way you guys are playing is a massive step up on personally what I think of where Italian rugby's been over previous history. But how hard is that that change going to be? Or is that not something that anyone's talking about at the minute? I mean, at the moment, we're obviously mainly focusing on what we've got coming up, which is the World Cup and being as good of a representation of Italian rugby as we can be. Because obviously, historically, not being great. And in these past couple of years, you've seen the rise and you've seen all these boys coming through, Paolo Gabrisi, Anscapozzo, all these different players who are changing what Italian rugby is. So the focus, especially from Kieran, he's unbelievable coach, always positive. He's never going to shoot us down for trying something. He wants us to be dynamic, be attacking and cause defences problems. And I think that is completely instilled throughout everyone's mindset. So when we're playing, we're not worried about making mistakes, although we don't want to, but it's the let's play as positive as we can and let's get some results from doing it that way. Yeah, and you play in positive rugby. Everyone can see that. And you mentioned a couple of the players there, but the back three, your position, Ange, Kapowatsu, you've got Monte Ioani. I know Eduardo Padovani, I think he's injured for the World Cup, isn't he? But yeah, exactly. the talent across that back three, like how is it in that company? Oh, it's great. And like obviously on Saturday just gone was my first time playing with Ange. So it was my first time seeing him in a full game. And I was like, this this man is crazy. Like he will run for for days from anywhere and he just swerving in and out of bodies because obviously he's not the biggest guy though he's actually gained some weight for this camp he's closing in on the 80 kilo mark <laughs> but um oh wow he, yeah yeah <laughs> but unbelievable player and it's just for me if i'm on the wing to be just around him basically just follow him and expect him to make a line break or get some tries off that so yeah it's great obviously monty's proven his international ability try scorer defensive leader great player so i'm just happy to be around all these boys and you mentioned the camp then about Caputo putting weight on and still being a ridiculously good talent. How hard has the camp been? Because we've heard the Wales boys are getting motorboarded or motorboated. I can't work out which one it was. You know, other, other teams have had some hard training camps as well. What's the Italian one been like? Has it been tough? Has it been class? Has it been like you're not eating, you're not sleeping? What, what's the toughest bit, bit been? The hardest thing is the weather because it's like 35 degrees here. So it's just... As soon as you go outside, you're sweating. Not as much now, but at the start, we're running eight, nine K a day in our training session. But it's all rugby based. Like We're not doing any sort of stupid fitness testing. So it's all relevant. But the one really hard thing we did, we did a, um, we went up into the Dolomites, the mountains with the army. And we spent three days with the army, which hopefully I'll never have to do again because that was not <laughs> we, we <laughs> I'm not built for hiking. I'm really not the build for hiking. And we did like a 13, 14 kilometer hike up the mountains with like military backpacks, eating military rations, like full works. Hell. In 30 degree heat. Yeah, hell. And then we camped out in tents on the mountains and then did another hike the day after. And yeah, boys, boys were breaking, but it was team bonding. This podcast took off with a bit of team bonding. So we told the story for the pre-season camp for Scotland 2015 where we went hiking with rucksacks and sandals on, but we had to massacre all these rabbits and we had to eat them. Like, Don't <laughs> say that you've done that because the RSPCA get involved. But the podcast <laughs> took off off the back of hiking. So I am all for it. One of the questions I wanted to ask was your pool, right? So the opening game is France versus New Zealand. Unbelievable. As a group... You've got two of the best teams, if not the best teams, in your group. What's been said about that? Like, how, how do you get through? How do you get through to the quarters? 
I think if anything, for us, it's more of an incentive because there's not much higher of a challenge than who we've got in our pool. So, you know, if we come out of the pool, then we've earned it because we've knocked off one of the two best teams in the world and they're not going to be in the knockout stages. So for us, going into that and playing those boys, especially because our last pool game is France. So that could potentially be a quarterfinal deciding game in France. Their fans going crazy. Hopefully us playing at the best we can. So yeah, it's more of a challenge than anything. So I think we're all looking forward to it. On that note then, are you thinking you want New Zealand to beat France in the first game so it all leads up to potentially that decider against France in the last group game for you guys? That would be good for the for the TV drama, I think. So that would be a hell of a game. But I don't mind what they do with each other as long as we can knock off one or two of them. It'll be it'll be a good good series. Yeah, and within the squad, Paolo, who are the big voices? I know Michele Lamaro is captain. I know there's a mix of different influences. Like, who are the real kind of characters and the strong characters who are going to take this team, not just into the World Cup, but as in further beyond where we all think that you're going to go? Yeah, so we have, obviously, Mitch, captain, like, great leader, mainly the voice of the team. And then you've got, um, particularly for a lot of the English-speaking boys, Seven Agri is kind of that same role of the just driving standards and just being a voice for everyone. And then in the backs, obviously, Paolo Gabrisi, quarterback of the team, is running the boys, always talking. Obviously, he speaks English, French and Italian, so he, he can talk to everyone. It's great. So they're kind of the main drivers. And then everyone else, obviously, has their own voice within the team. Everyone can say what they want. And then we kind of get the connection from there. Give us a prediction then. How many tries are you getting in the World Cup and how many is Ange Caputso getting? Is there a bit of a wager going on between you boys to see who can get the most? Uh, I haven't, haven't spoken to him about it yet, but putting him up there for top assists and if he's thought me and Monty up with tries, will be good. There you go. There you go. All right, Paolo. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. And uh, good to see you in blue and hopefully you go well at the World Cup. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Enjoyed it. Cheers, Paolo. Suits you, mate. Just saying, one Cornetto, give it to me. <laughs> Delicious ice cream from Italy. Have you been singing that? You must have. Lads must have made you sing I've that. I've actually had a Cornetto since I've been here. Need to go get one. What? Yeah, I think they can do better than Cornetto's. Paolo, before you go, clothing line, is that still up and running or is that in the back burner for now? Still going, still going. Is it? Let's give it a shout out then. Keep going. I'm waiting for my hat to come, but you might not fit on my head. I think it's in the post, but I'm not sure. It's uh, <laughs> Composure Club, obviously, me and Jacob Umaga, still going strong. Two years in now. We've got a new collection coming out next month, so stay on the socials. Composure Club. I've lost 18 kilos. Will it fit a slimmer me? Just drop down the size. We'll get you in a get you in a medium or a small. You'd be sweet. That a boy. Good on you, mate. That's I'm glad it's going well, Paolo. Good on you, mate. Cheers, mate. See you, boys. Yeah, chuff for you. Thank you. Top, Top lad. lad. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, dead chuff for him because that's why I asked the question about how hard it's been when you're going from being at Wasps thinking that's your future to then that contract gets ended because they go bust. Then you're at Stade Francais on a medical joker. What a place to be a medical joker, by the way. And then you're Italian. Then you've signed for Benetton. Mate, it's really tough for some rugby players at the minute with that hysteria and that change. But mate, what a bloke. I can't wait to see him in an Italian shirt. He's so exciting, ball in hand. And when you're playing with Capuzzo and Monte Iwani and players like that, he's going to have a big impact, I reckon. I don't know if you guys saw, but my tweet went viral. Yes. Eddie Jones. How funny. Andy Rowe, you're welcome. I reposted it as well. And I was all over Eddie, love him. And then I found out about Brad Davis and I was like, mate, there's something not quite right here. So... Firstly, love the look. I love the the hats. Irony, really, isn't it? That he's wearing a, that he's wearing a cowboy hat. Absolute irony. <laughs> Loved it, and he's just he's had enough of the press. He's not feeling it. He's taken all the heat off the players. He's gone full in on the press, just saying, "Nah, we're rubbish. Nah, mate, we're rubbish. No, nah, it's rubbish. Yeah, it's rubbish. Right, you're all done. Give yourself an uppercut, mate." And walks off. <laughs> Enjoyed that, and then I saw Brad Davis, Goody's mate, who's been on the podcast before Goody's interviewed him before and I don't know how much we could talk about that Goody I don't know how much you can share not that you've told me any information but I've heard how it ended for Brad Davis wasn't good I just heard that you know if we embellish the story if we want to apparently it was on the floor in the middle pitch getting CPR getting pumped up getting dragged off the pitch Eddie's like where are you fucking going mate and he just hands in his P45 as he walks off on the stretcher that is all allegations I could be making that up but I'm trying to joke about it, but apparently it's not a laughing matter or a joke, Goody. What do you know? I mean, 
I did tweet about Eddie Jones. We've seen it under England where the coach turnover, the backroom turnover of staff have gone, doctors, physios, media managers, anyone that's worked for him doesn't enjoy it. And yeah, okay, you know, you need a hard taskmaster at times, but what Eddie has done and, and how it's evolved over the coaching period, it's just not healthy for people. And people don't want to work in that environment. We love Eddie Jones in terms of what he does at press conferences because it gives us sound bites and it gives us things to talk about and drama. But I don't, is he, he's losing the plot, isn't he? There's something not right. And I think more and more will come out about environments and what's gone on. And it's not for me to say, but I hear a lot of stuff and it's un- unhealthy, very unhealthy. And then when he's going wild at press, they're asking about Quay Cooper, why hasn't he been selected? People working in the press have the right to ask these questions, you know, but he's just losing the plot time after time. And yeah, it started off with England, I'll take the pressure off the players, but it's just going crazier and crazier. I just, I do worry for him himself because he he doesn't seem all there, but it's a bit of drama that we're all engaged with and he's got a cowboy hat on. I just want people to think about how he's treated other people. So when people are going at Eddie Jones and asking him tough questions, just have a think about how he's treated, and I know a lot about it, how he's treated a lot of people in different environments over the last six years. And when all that comes out, which eventually everything does, you know, you'll understand a bit more why some people go quite hard at him. Because if you can give it, you've got to take it. And he's bringing in Steve Hansen now. I did not see that coming. Mental. Andy Rowe as a Kiwi, what are you thinking there? Double World Cup winner. It feels like he had a crack. I don't know if he did. I don't know if this is just me making it up in my memory, but I feel like he had a crack at Sir Graham Henry for going and helping out the Argentinians back in the day. So it feels weird that he's going to our biggest rival to sort them out. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not going to sort them out. Maybe he's going to absolutely do this some. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, maybe Aussie dollars are getting strong over there because the economy, mate, New Zealand economy, when New Zealand lose, it tanks, mate. So maybe that's why. Oh, no, they won, didn't they? Sorry about that. Well, should we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's do that. We're starting off in the good and the top 14 kicked off this weekend or last weekend. And a big shout out goes to Oyanax. They uh, got promoted to the top 14 last year and beat Claremont 36 points to 17 at home. So massive shout out to Oyanax and the top 14 for getting started. They've only had about three weeks off. It's about 45 degrees in France, but get on with the Ruggers, lads. So great to see that back. Cheslin Colby gets a shout in the good this week. Of course he does. Just the usual nine defenders beaten. And Kane and Moody as well. He got a couple of tries and a man of the match performance for South Africa. So they've got some pretty decent options in that back three. But big shout out to those two. Another one that Jim mentioned earlier, Sia Khaleesi gets a huge shout out coming back from just 119 days off after suffering an ACL injury and set up a try in three minutes. Great to see his passion, singing the anthem, leading his country again. What a player, what a bloke. Great to see Sia Khaleesi back. Shout out to all the South Africans. They get a mention in the good. Their biggest ever away win over Wales and they're looking pretty good. What else was good? Italy get a shout-out in the good. We've just had Paolo Adogu on, but they spanked Romania. Georgia get a shout-out in the good as well. They got a big victory this weekend too. Things are developing nicely for the World Cup. But the good this week goes to Keith Earls and scoring a try on his 100th cap. Not only was it a try, it was a hell of a finish. The dive, the roly-poly, it looked brilliant. So big shout-out to Keith Earls. 100 caps, gets on, scores a try in his 100th game. Delighted for him. So massive shout-out to Keith Earls, and that's why he wins the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. We're going to start off with Dan Sheehan injuring his foot against England. Hopefully it's not too bad. What else was bad? Romania, get a mention the bad. They got an early red card and lost 57-7 in Italy. So it's going to be a tough World Cup for them. Also in the bad, Wales. Who takes 50 at home, lads? Well, the Welsh do against a very strong South African team. They don't win the bad this week because that is going to go to England. A really poor performance, particularly in attack. We've scored four tries in our last five tests. We look pretty blunt. Things have got to change quickly, but that's why England get the bad this week. And then the ugly, two bits of ugly. Romania lock, Adrian Motok got sent off after six minutes for smashing his head into the head of Italy captain Michele Lamaro in a ruck. You don't go doing that to our Michele Lamaro son, so that's why you got a red card. But the ugly this week has to go to Billy Vanapola. What are you doing, mate? Shoulder to the head. You're our only specialist number eight. You had your arm tucked. There's absolutely no mitigation, and so a ban is pretty much coming, I think. So the ugly this week, unfortunately, goes to Billy Vunipola. 
Cheers, Goody. And you guys have got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yes, Andy Rowe, we do. Big shout-out to Sheffield Tigers, RUFC, who have a beer festival on over the bank holiday weekend. Enjoy, lads. Get yourself involved if you're in the area of Sheffield with the revolving dance floor. Been there before, back in the day. Might have to go up for that beer festival. Also, a massive shout-out to all the lads doing the Great Rugger Run, which is a million metres or a thousand kilometres for you, Jim, uh, from West Wales to Cheltenham, all to raise money for Doddy Aid and the MND Research. Check out thegreatruggerrun.org for more details on how you can get involved and donate to this great cause. So good luck, lads. A big shout out to Tom, George and Theo who are riding the Hoot route in the Alps in France. Seven days, 750 kilometres in aid of MND also. It's the MND Association. They're starting this Sunday. All you need to do is Google Tom Atkinson at Hoot, Hout, Hoot route. It's spelled H-A-U-T-E. So if you're from Cov or Scotland, maybe sounds different, but it's the Hout route Alps and you can donate. And lastly to Owen Browell who is completing the lap on the 9th of September, a 47-mile, 75-kilometre ultramarathon lap around Lake Windermere up north, also in aid of MND. So some fantastic people doing amazing things, raising money for MND, which is great to see. Good luck to you all, especially you, Owen. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Ruby Spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. pod. <laughs>